This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Welcome everyone to another episode of Bumping Into. I am Francis Populin and for this episode we embark on a thought-provoking and somewhat alarming journey to discuss a matter of great significance a proposed Australian law that aims to restrict free speech and define the truth as it be seen by a government agency. The right to free speech has been a pillar of democratic societies, providing individuals with the freedom to express their thoughts, ideas and opinions. But as the world's evolving, so do the challenges that have come with this freedom. Now Australia is finding itself at a crossroads, navigating the delicate balance between safeguarding democratic values and addressing concerns around things like harmful speech and misinformation. While some angles of the media might fail to tell you all you need to know and others like to deliver it wrapped in fear and fire, the truth is that going down a rabbit hole of telling people what can and can't be said is very dangerous. You could argue that it's more dangerous than letting things being said and allowing people to make up their own minds, or even choose to be offended or not offended by it. This year, the Australian government announced its intention to bring in a new bill that would allow the Australian Communications and Media Authority to define what is misinformation and disinformation, and find both platform and individual that failed to remove or alter that information. I have had several people email me over the last few months asking for an episode uh, on this that would provide a non-biased summary view on what this bill would mean. Once I started looking into it, I was horrified to see what this bill has in mind. Don't be fooled by the lack of attention that it's not receiving from mainstream media and think that it might not be that big of a deal because it is. The reason you won't hear too much from mainstream channels is because that legacy and accredited government media agencies are totally excluded from it. So this means they can define the truth and the information as they see it without any fear or question. This bill threatens to take away the likes of independent research and will make the work of independent journalists extremely complex and high risk. It's very easy to have something dismissed once someone calls it a conspiracy theory. That term now is almost used as a derogatory implication by mainstream media. But make no mistake, while it might have all the hallmarks of a dystopian conspiracy theory, this bill is extremely worrying, and it's clear on its intentions and its proposed powers. Those that have been dressing it in fear and fire are correct. Regardless of your brand of politics, you need to take attention to what this bill is about. You see, part of the problem in Australia is we don't have anything in our constitution that covers the right to free speech. So this means if a government of the day wants to pass a bill or a law that gives them the right to control the information you see and hear, they will then have the ability to do that. It's that simple. This bill will simply allow government to control platforms through fear or fines based on what it believes to be the truth and misinformation and it itself is excluded. This really is that dystopian, and it is that clear in its intended powers. On this episode, I'm joined by IP attorney Chris Baxter, whose Twitter account went viral after he read the bill 
and sent out several tweets explaining his disbelief in just how authoritarian and overreaching this bill actually is. We'll explore the driving forces behind the proposed law, the key arguments made by both people that I guess would stand to support and benefit, and its critics, the potential implications that it may also have on Australian society. So get ready to explore the nuances of this proposed law and the balance of freedom of expression, independent journalistic research, and the choice of information that now comes under the greatest threat in modern history. Remember that you can head to bumpingintocomau find the episode page to find out more information, some of the links that we're going to speak about. Just remember, no matter what, stay curious, and let's go straight into my conversation with Chris Baxter. Chris, how are you going? How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. How are you going? Uh, really well. I've basically uh, never been involved in politics in my life, but for the first time last night, I held a political action group meeting. Oh, really? How'd it go? Yeah, it was it was surprisingly good. I mean, um, didn't know what to expect, but yeah. basically a bunch of really altruistically um, minded people from different backgrounds who are concerned about this misinformation, disinformation bill got together and we had a good chat. Wow. And, and was the consensus the same? Everyone's got fears and everyone can see we're going down a wrong path remarkably um yes is the short answer i sort of uh i I think one thing that kind of happens these days because uh different groups of media are so uh we've got in in their own sort of uh um, echo chambers yeah you tend to wonder if you're the only one who thinks a certain way yeah, very much. It's a it's a good observation. It's very true for a lot of people, especially people that like to question and don't pick a side based on a brand. Right, right. And I think that, you know, sort of was particularly an issue during the COVID period where everyone was so isolated and everyone had their own thoughts, but there was only so much that was uh, acceptable to to say. Yeah, yep. Right. Um, but but uh, so I was really surprised that, about the concerns the group voiced in that it wasn't just limited to this misinformation bill. We all see this misinformation bill as one part of a broader situation of, well, in one sense, the wall's closing in. Um, But what does that actually mean? Well, it's the, the government chipping away at civil liberties. Yeah, yeah. It's probably well-timed that you've done this too, because what I wanted to try and do with yourself is is basically, because you even touched on the media thing too, which I've got an example that I wanted to talk about, is that there is this huge uh, perception of views or, or the way that they project that news can be it's so two sides. There's there's nothing in the middle anymore. It's not here's the information. You make up your own mind. It's it's very much coming across with like a if you if you're cooking something, the spice is opinion, and they're throwing in a bunch of it. And um, what what I wanted to do is is without belonging to either of those brands of politics, uh, is encapsulate what it is this bill means in its core sense, and right. then throw at you a couple of scenarios that I. Um, have thought of how they would come out in the wash. It's also worth saying um, 
and and I just say this because it's a uh, uh, say a common point of confusion. Uh, I'm a patent attorney. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, what what that means is my background is my background's in engineering, actually aeronautical engineering, out oh. of all things. And I've done a master's degree in intellectual property law, but I, I'm not a I'm not a solicitor. Uh, yeah. So all sort of opinions on the bill on the bill, you know, are, are essentially sort of a skilled layman's um, perspective, which is perfect. Which is exactly what I want because I don't want it to get lost in the complexity. So I want it to be that someone can understand a scenario as a common person would, but with a high level understanding. So mm-hmm. that's that's perfect. If we go into the the essence of it is uh, we've got January 2023, the Minister for Communications announced that the government would look at introducing new laws to provide the Australian Communications and Media Authority with advanced powers to combat what it sees as misinformation and disinformation. So basically the government saying to its its offshoot, I'm going to give you, we want to give you more power to go out there and squash what and this is one sticky point, someone believes to be a point of misinformation. Now, that means that they would be able to make platforms remove anything that they believe to be misinformation. Failure to do that, they can issue a fine to that platform, 5% of their annual global turnover, or an individual up to half a million dollars. And so essentially they're saying that if 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 Platform X is seen to be hosting something that someone has put on there and they don't remove it, they can get a fine. But essentially they'll they'll be frantically looking to remove things to avoid the fine. So anything that might even be grey, I mean, if it's grey, it doesn't suit the individual. It suits the government or whoever wants to come after you with something. So if it's a grey area, it's gone, essentially. This is how I sort of saw it, that, that bill. There's a whole bunch of um, issues and questions that it raises and, and some of them being, well, who decides? misinformation who decides what that is which is a huge one and and ultimately the government can put whatever sticker they want on it and and whatever color logo they want but ultimately the government decides they appoint who is on the board and they're going to decide what it what it may be now so with that what i wanted to do is tell me if i'm looking at this wrong but is this not the government can't control the internet but the government can control the platform via the use of fear and fines yeah, and and you might say, well, why do they want to do that? Well, the what is said on the platforms is a proxy for free speech. Yep, that's right. Um, you know, it's it's the uh, and I'm you know far from the first person to have said this, but it's the modern public square. It's exactly, and right. if you control the venue where speech occurs, you can control speech. A hundred percent. So, what is really uh, concerning here is why does government want to control speech? Well, that's my next thing on that is tell me if you see this wrong. I see this as mandating the truth as they see it. Well, that that's sort of uh, what we're concerned uh, about sort of where this, where this could lead. Yeah. but in the you know in the short term specifically um, what this uh, bill allows for um, is requiring digital platforms to provide evidence of misinformation or disinformation 
um, that occurs on their platforms and to detail the measures that the platforms implemented to prevent or respond to the misinformation or disinformation. And even on the prevalence of information that, and even to report on the prevalence of information that doesn't strictly meet um, its uh, very broad uh, definitions of what could be misinformation or disinformation, but is nonetheless false, misleading or deceptive. So the requirement applies to web platforms all around the world. Any web platform that has one Australian user um, or could be uh, viewed by Australians. It, it um, you know, immediately we think of Facebook and Twitter and maybe the new threads and Instagram and so forth. But there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands yeah. uh, of community-based web forums, yeah. WhatsApp groups of... Exactly. Well, that was my next thing, is one of the things of consideration is the scope of the private message exemption. So that means if <laughs> you, me, and a couple of other guys have to throw a message around... Yes. Uh, wow. At what point, uh, uh, yeah, at, at what point um, does that uh, interactive media, um, which it is... Um, is it deemed a sort of a public conversation rather than private messaging? That That's very unclear. My view is um, that where a group couldn't demonstrably uh, um, show that the uh, that it was a private messaging situation between people who all knew each other, then you've probably moved from sort of private to public. And let's face it, that's the case with, most WhatsApp groups of more than maybe 10 people. Yeah. You just don't know everyone. Yeah. Um, so uh, very, 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 and, and this also um, includes web platforms that are from overseas that have Australian visitors. So how do, I mean, how does that work, right? I mean, imagine, I don't know, if the, the Danish government or the uh, American government or the Indonesian government um, uh, had some sort of reciprocal uh, requirement of Australian web forums. Yeah, it, it, it very quickly becomes completely unmanageable. Well, you wouldn't want to play in that space. Risk versus reward. You'd <laughs> yeah. go out. Yeah. Uh, it's as simple as that. And what what is interesting and. <laughs> You know, you listen to the, I can see how one side of the media can broadcast this as fear and fire, but it really is, it, it's almost comical that when you look at the list of, okay, who's excluded? Well, exclusions are the government itself are totally excluded. Any professional. Not surprising, huh? Not surprising. <laughs> any professional or legacy news outlets, such as the ABC, 1097. And then you've got any accredited government departments or affiliates. So it and amongst it, itself is... Educational institutions and so forth. Educational yep. as well. Yep. So they are excluded 100% from it. It, it. So, I mean, you know, I really try to not be on the fire and fear side of, of, uh, of media at all. But when you read this and you read what they're coming after, it's hard for someone that sits on the fence to not be extremely worried i think everyone should be extremely worried except the people making the law 
Yes, and those who stand to benefit from the bill if it's passed into legislation. And unfortunately, that includes the mainstream media. So there there is an incentive here that's important to be aware of for um, the media not to make a big fuss about this bill. Yeah, keep it under the carpet, push it through nice and quiet. Because if it goes through, um, they gain uh, prima facie trustworthiness uh, and a prima facie, uh, um, what can we say, uh, ability to determine truth. And the, for the others, though, the onus is on them to show their trustworthiness, to have an opinion and share it on a digital platform. See, what this is doing, Francis, is it's creating two classes of citizen. Those whom the government deems trustworthy to participate in public forums without being monitored and reported on, and those whom the government deems cannot be trusted. Um, I mean, it does you don't have to be a civil liberties advocate to see how uh, unjust and inequitable uh, this sort of approach is. Um, but we all know, uh, you know, the, the, the litany of so-called conspiracy theories um, that have yeah. occurred um, over the last few years. I won't name them all because they're public knowledge, um, but, you know, you've got the laptop. You've got yep. a bleak. You've got three years of something, something collusion. Um, you've got various uh, rules about um, what should and shouldn't be done in the in the presence of a particular virus. Yep. You know, it, it's sort of we all we all know them, um, and it just goes to show that you never want to give one party a monopoly on the truth. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, people should be smart enough to make their own mind up and the freedom to do it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was actually going to quiz you on this. I mean, this may be a totally stupid idea, but if the government is so intent on putting its, uh, its authority on the truth and making sure that people understand what it believes is the truth, make up your own certification. We put the kangaroo on Australian made products, come up with your own sticker and say that this product is officially viewed as the truth by the government. And if people feel comfortable in it, well, there it is. It's a little logo that says that complies with what the government endorses Mm. problem solved. You haven't Mm. had to go in and destroy freedom of speech or free rights. You've, you've created your own way around it. Maybe that's an idea. Uh, Francis, I haven't heard that one, but that, that, makes a lot of sense to well me. to me it makes a lot of sense i thought that would be the first thing that i would do if i was in any form of uh, industry body looking to a, provide an accreditation on what we believe to be not not squash and remove everything but go about the way of promoting what we believe and offer it out there as it's a certified piece of government truth take it i mean so, so so far as um those matters uh you know concern uh, the general sort of ambit and responsibilities of government, which shouldn't be everything. Um, I, you know, I have no, I see no issue with the government taking uh, positions, uh, you know, on on some of these things. Um, it should avoid taking positions on things that it really doesn't need to. Um, 
but I think that's a, you know I, I I don't I don't think that's a bad idea necessarily. Um, it would allow them to uh, express a view without imposing it on everyone else. Exactly, and 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 look, there's always going to be a portion that see uh, force or mandates or whatever terminology you want to use uh, as the removal of trust, not the creation of it. So would you not try the least path of resistance first offer that before you go using mandated trust and enforcements and fines? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at it too simplistically, but to me that seems like the first path that you would take and you're not infringing on anyone's rights. You're providing a, a true to the sense of a free democracy. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think they need to, I think they need to take a few steps back. And, you know, remember, you know, from uh, 2,500 years ago, you know, why the Greeks coined this term uh, parhesia. Now, I'm not not 100% certain I'm saying that right, (laughs) but it's basically what it means is candid speech where people are entitled to, with an assumption of free speech, people entitled to share their opinions and um, speak candidly about things with the, with a view to the common good from their from their own perspective, and uh, you know this this is a beautiful thing because if we can um, value parhesia, then we give society the opportunity to put all views on the table. And to work through those views using dialectic, logic, debate, argument, all these, you know, these things that are the bedrock of Western and some other civilizations. And, um, and, you know, you use those, uh, tools to its full advantage. Uh, you know, how the thing that, you know, since reading about this, uh, mystic, Bill, late June when I was on a family holiday. Um, and I'll tell you the story about that a little bit later. But the, the, the one question I cannot answer, answer for myself is how is it that a government can put s- such, such a tyrannical bill, uh, before its people? How is it that in 2,500 years we've forgotten mm-hmm. the value of discussing complex sometimes difficult sometimes offensive ideas with each other to try and sense make our way towards what may or may not be true yeah it's incredible i know it's it's sometimes you and and you know for a lot of people they hold the people in government as high regard they're intelligent they've been elected they're supposed to be well educated well experienced i mean these are all the things you wish for that would appear in a government and then you just scratch your head at some of these decisions as lacking pure grassroots common sense you know and and then you don't want to go down the whole is there an agenda is there a someone to gain benefit you really don't like going down those holes but when you can't tick any other boxes to the logic that's where people start drifting towards yeah it's it's sort of uh, I mean, you sort of again, like just looking at the real fundamentals of what is being proposed here. 
um, and these sort of uh, two classes of uh, people that it effectively would create. Um, um, the question needs to be asked, what is the um, uh, sort of uh, uh, group-level psychological effects uh, on a, a large portion of society who are effectively being disempowered um, by this bill. And when I say disempowered, I mean, I say how they're disempowered. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of obvious on the face of it, but how do you articulate it? And well, I've been thinking about it. And I think, I think the, the issue is it presupposes fault. The bill pre, presupposes fault by an individual or a group in their ability to uh, sense make. Um, you know, and the, you know, the big, uh, I'd say, um, uh, I'm not quite sure whether it's a philosophy or sometimes something a little bit more of uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The big um, uh, idea there is that Everyone, I mean, in theory, if you take the words at face value, that everyone should be included in the process. Um, and surely there's no more important process to include everyone in than in sense making. Mm, yeah. Well, tell me, the, the research I've done on this is it seems that the biggest um, reason or opportunity that this can come in is because that we are one of the only um, democratic countries that doesn't have the right to free speech in our constitution. So where this would be extremely, if not impossible uh, to pass in some other countries, we're here because that's not written in our constitution. It really is the government can come in and make a 3am decision uh, like they've done before and you wake up the next morning and this has happened. Yeah, it- it, it, it's interesting because whilst, um, as you say, what um, we don't have that baked into our constitution, we do have through common law uh, a series of precedents that would effectively give us freedom of political communication. But what you see in this bill, a deci- the decision is given to ACMA as to whether um, certain um, actions to decide on uh, to what extent this impinges on our freedom of political communication. And that decision shouldn't be given to ACMA. Mm. That decision, uh, you know, should be a democratic. Let's let's say, for example, that this gets through and the government elects a, a, a board or a committee. I mean, no doubt it's going to be made up of public servants and politicians and judges you know, or big industry, lucrative industry are all going to be in this melting pot. Now, if you've got a bunch of of judges in there and all the rest of it, it would be a brave judge who's not in that board to side against them on any decision. I know there's meant to be the separation of powers. I understand the theory behind it. It's a beautiful theory. But if we bring it back to what could potentially happen, it is a brave uh, person who would be willing to go against where their peers are engaged in a board that has made a decision and almost an impossible feat. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's just, it's just peer pressure, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, right. We, well, we saw, well, I mean, we saw, we saw that well and truly work itself out 
um, during the COVID period with what would you be perf ordinarily perfectly um, lovely and uh, reasonable people uh, sort of taking authoritarian positions on, you yeah. know, whether, whether people should lose their jobs and so forth. Yeah. Well, if we talk about peer pressure and, and the, you know, the fear, so allegedly the Canada has passed the bill C11. Now I haven't done, I've only done some ground level research on this, but since it's a similar bill, um, since that's been passed, Meta has now blocked any other news source other than the endorsed legacy platforms. So if you run any sort of independent media, any independent researching, if you're an independent journalist, you they're not going to let you go on there for fear of being fined. So that Shocking. platform becomes Shocking, a mouthpiece for the bill and who it was created to to benefit. It's That's all it's done. And it's basically silenced anything that's independent or non-government endorsed which is incredible to think that that has happened but that that has happened this isn't we're not talking about some movie we're talking about what's happening on the other side of the world at the moment and it's yeah, going well, through that, largely un, unspoken well that that's what i'm really you know that's um what i'm really concerned about here is you know, this bill clearly appears to be a stepping stone on a path uh somewhere yeah. or or one station on the track and um, I'm not smart enough um, to have figured out what the um, subsequent stations are going to be, but I think it's a pretty smart idea, as you've just done, uh, to look at what's happened, happened and happening in, uh, in in other countries. I mean, one's just got to ask the fundamental question. So you, you're collecting these uh, millions and millions of uh, data points of things Australians have said, on digital platforms, you're categorizing it according to your own perspectives and values, um, or you know those of a, a body uh, put together by ACMA um, as either I don't know reasonable misinformation or disinformation, um, well at least collecting the misinformation disinformation, um, and what for? What for? Yeah. yeah. What for? <laughs> You're going to have huge amounts of data um, within years. What for? You know, I, I don't think you have to be a uh, conspiracy theorist. All this data is being collected um, for something more than just saving it. Yeah. And yeah. something more than, um, you know, j just trying to sort of apply subtle uh, pressures uh, to uh, digital platforms. At some point, the pressure... I believe is going to move from being applied to the digital platforms and the threats that this bill makes to digital platforms, and there are a number of them, um, to threats to individuals. Yeah. And at the moment, um, the most tangible uh, threat to the individual um, is to be hauled in front of the uh, ACMA board under uh, Section 19 and have to give an account of some um, uh, comments or information you know about a friend or a family member who has said something that the government believes will or could cause or could contribute to serious harm according to their very broad definition. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the stuff of the Soviet Union, uh, not of, yeah. not of uh, a country like Australia. 
and it's it, what plays on my mind is you've got uh, people in power at the moment that are ready to push the go button on this decision. And it's almost like they haven't thought, well, hang on, I'm going to have kids. They're going to have kids. What is the legacy this will leave behind? Because those kids and, and their kids m- most likely aren't going to benefit from this. This is benefiting those in power at the present. I think you're right in your observation before that there's a huge amount of peer pressure playing itself out here. And I don't confess to understand the mechanics of that. Um, but, you know, um, we all see the post that on a daily basis by um, various international bodies um, around sort of hate speech, misinformation, disinformation, da 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 um, and it's 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 a somewhat um, uh, propagandistic um, in its nature, in that there's 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 not posts on the other side coming mm. from these large global organisations about the importance of free speech, the importance of tolerance and yeah. diversity of thought, um, and you know say say something about hate speech, sure, um, and we you know. Um, say say something um, about not everything we hear uh, will be true. Yeah, you know, call it misinformation. Yeah, but well, you, it, you've got to true. tell me what I'm what I'm looking at. What am I voting for? Don't tell me how to vote because then I'm going to be suspicious. Exactly, exactly. And look, there's there's some uh, sort of uh, pernicious uh, aspects of this bill that only really uh come out when certain scenarios are worked through i knew you i know you have uh a couple to throw at me yeah um, yeah would you like me to lead the way with one yeah 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 <laughs> i'm a i'm a christian um but there are people of all faiths in australia uh, uh there's um you know muslims there's jews um there's uh indigenous uh people that have um aspects of uh faith mm-hmm. um and uh you know traditional knowledge and these uh these uh beliefs uh can be easily reduced by a highly by by a government that sort of presupposes say an atheistic uh position is true um can our faith positions um and a lot of australians have Face, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what percentage, but it'd be more than fifty percent. Have um, would be my guess. Yeah. Um, have some sort of faith position. Yeah. Um, these can be easily reduced um, by a government that uh, presupposes an atheistic worldview um, as misinformation. And so, when you have uh, a, a, a a Christian with a Say a biblical worldview, yeah. um, or a Muslim with a uh, worldview that is uh, sort of uh, is highly influenced by uh, the Quran, yeah. um, or a Buddhist um, uh, whose views are uh, you know high, highly influenced by the teachings of Buddha um, that want to talk in a public forum and uh, maybe they want to share something about their faith. Um, or maybe um, their faith gives them a certain perspective uh, on a public issue. I mean, we want to be able to share um, our perspectives from our heart. And 
if there's a no reason to think why in the future, and I don't know what station number, if we're at station A, I don't know if that is at station C or at station F. Yeah. But there's no reason to think that a government a government would not reduce our faith perspectives to misinformation or even disinformation in the future. Well, it gives them that power. It's they can they can twist and turn and say we wouldn't do that, and we've all heard that before. The GST was a we wouldn't. It's a, a politics. Whatever they say doesn't mean anything. The proof is in the text, and the text gives them that ability. Yeah, and where and also and part of that is because um, so many of the definitions are terribly defined, very loosely defined. And because we all grey know- is their friend. Grey yeah. is always a government's friend. It's their best friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter which. It doesn't matter if it's Labor. Uh, you know, no, I'm, it doesn't. No, that's exactly uh, right. And I was going to mention that is people tend to jump on the opposite team. It's like we we don't like the one that we're with, so we look to the other as the savior. And I and that's dangerous in itself because the other was in last time and they didn't necessarily uh, change the world for the better either. Um, yeah. And they had opportunity, so I don't. It's it's not uh, pick your pick your brand, and one is the savior, and one is the the not. But you have to have your eyes on both of them. They're both magicians, and you've got to be watching the hand that they're not flashing in front of you. <laughs> so true. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, look, every um, you know, some people might dispute me on this, but I think every um, say uh, political party and every uh, if you if you go to the individual level. Every individual has something to contribute to the public forum in terms of their perspectives and views and um, support of different um, views and thoughts based on their life experience. And it's just, it just shouldn't be cancelled out. No, 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 I I totally agree. Um, So let me throw at you a couple of these. Um, I've got a, a couple that, I want to see what your thoughts would be on. And we'll start with um, one is the concern, I suppose, around organizations. So if we use an example, let's just say, I mean, I've, I've done a podcast with an organization that has concerns on mobile phone use, high level mobile phone use, and they're collecting, they've got a body of evidence to suggest that it may be more dangerous than we're being told. And it's a growing body of evidence and it's being done by independent, independent scientists accredited, not John in the backyard playing around with a multimeter. We're talking about scientists that share a view that is against uh, what the government is saying. There's nothing to see here. Now that organization um, under this new bill potentially will either have to fold or run the risk of fines because they're talking about sharing and presenting information that at this point in time, the government's deeming misinformation. Well, let's look at, let's look at the bill uh, and see how that plays out. I'll do my best here. (laughs) Um, So um, on page six of the bill, uh, there's a definition for harm and under point D, um, uh, it says harm uh, to the health of Australians. And under point F, it says economic or financial harm to Australians. Um, so so you just uh, answered that. <laughs> I well, see where you're going there because that's exactly right. That would be an economic disadvantage to someone in Australia should that information be true. Well, say, say the... Uh, say the relevant information was information about um, uh, a negative effect that 
5G could have. This is just a hypothetical example I've pulled out yeah. of my hat. I, I don't know anything about it myself. It's um, written down there. It's put on a um, digital platform. If it came to be that from uh, such, and the government would construe it this way, that this could contribute to a situation of serious harm to the economic um, uh uh, the economy of Australia, its ability to compete economically with other countries, if Australians came to the view that we can't use, we shouldn't use 5G anymore because it's a superior internet uh, technology, yeah. much uh, greater bandwidth and speeds and so forth. So it, yeah, the, the problem with this bill is that, and, um, is that it leaves so much open. And whilst some of these um, possibilities seem unlikely, um, it, they exist. It's you know for the frog that's being slowly, slowly, slowly boiled yeah. in the pot. Um, he is like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm never going to be uh, boiled. This the bath just warming up. You know, it's only yeah, they're looking after me. They're making me comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, I mean, it's part of the Australian way to have some cynicism um, and, uh, you know, a little bit of healthy uh, disrespect yeah. Uh, yeah. for the government. And that's what helps us keep them honest. Yeah. And you know, it's part of the democratic system. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to look at scenarios like this because it really tests what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Um Another one I've got. So something is presented as a class action. Say they've got supporting evidence from 10,000 studies uh, in their favour, showing in their favour. Would it be thrown out of court as being frivolous by the judge based on that it's, at the time, deemed misinformation? Yeah, uh, interesting. Well, I mean, okay, so you've got a couple of things going on here. Um, One is a court case um, against uh, uh, presumably a, a party other than uh, ACMA. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> say, um, well, I think we all, we, we all know uh, what an example of this could potentially uh, look like. Um, and then you've got the situation of the um, evidence uh, or, or, um, or the, you know, the, the argument of the plaintiff being... Uh, present being presented by uh, yeah ACMA and the digital uh, platforms reporting to ACMA as misinformation, and to what extent might that play into the natural justice um, yeah. and the course of you know uh, justice um, seeing its way uh, through the normal uh, course without in, uh, you know political interference. Yep. And the evidence being valid. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can very easily squash anything if at the time it's not deemed to be certified by the government as true. Well, I think, I think in a court situation, you're still, you always, you're going to have like expert um, evidence um, brought to the table and that type of thing. So it, it may not be persuasive. Uh, uh, designation as misinformation or disinformation may not be persuasive. Um, but just the question is, to what extent um, is that going to play into, mm. um, you know, 
judges are. Yeah, that's right. And and who does it protect? You know, we can keep something that way for 50 years until it's been long enough to not impact anyone that made a decision 50 years ago and then say, okay, now we could have that same case and have a different outcome. So that's that's an interesting variable it's of interesting events. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good question to ask sort of, um, how you know the politics might play into yeah and i'll give you another one my second last one um so so i'll give you a a back-end story to this so um it was actually an australian scientist in 1901 um dr gibson who discovered who who started drawing lines of conclusion that there was issues with lead in paint and health effects he was the first scientist in the world to officially register this and in 1901, he basically discovered that there was a link. In 1904, he published a paper showing his findings and his concerns. Mm. So first thing is, 1904, he's published something. If this law was in place already, we've got that probably wouldn't have happened out of fear, or he would have copped himself a fine, or the platforms available to him, which would have been the post office and the telegram machine, would have been like we've we refused to send that because we're going to get a fine if we do, or the publisher would have refused to print it. Yeah, I think I think you're mostly right. I think um, yes, very much there would be a sense of intimidation. Um, uh, secondly, yes, digital platforms uh, might. Uh, uh, sorry, the equivalent of the digital platform uh, might uh, take it down. Um, you know, to yeah. to avoid fines and so forth. Um, so. He, what would have he, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't have been fined directly directly though. okay so so nineteen o four he's published his paper showing his findings in nineteen twenty so we're now talking almost twenty years later, so he's been continually re- researching this in nineteen twenty he had a significant body of evidence to show there was a, a an issue here with paint uh with lead paint and the health effects. He took that to the League of Nations at the time. The report was the findings are in stark contrast to that of the industry-backed research, and it was dismissed. Mm. Now, yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> it gets better than that. So oh, okay. 1920, after 20 years of research, it's been dismissed. Your view is different to the League of Nations at the time. We're dismissing it, which is okay. That's fine. We all knew we've seen this with smoking. We've seen it with um, various other chemicals and, and medicines that have come over time and that, that were steam safe and 20, 60, 50 years later, they've changed their voice on, which is fine. So we're up to 1920. They've said, no, your, your evidence is in stark contrast to the official evidence. And it was dismissed. 1970. Had he have lived to be a hundred years old, he would have seen the official removal of lead from paint because now the industry deemed it to be a health risk 100 years old he had he have lived that's from 1901 to 1970 that's how long it took as sad as that is it took that long and as many children were impacted and birth defects occurred it would be sadder to think and tell me if i'm wrong that that would not happen if this bill is in place if he didn't have friends in high power if he wasn't part of a government-backed research facility or agency this would never be seen, never be brought to light. And I'll tell you why. Because, because society comes to a view on truth, what's true, what's false, 
over time um, through uh, incremental uh, education, through uh, incremental uh, dialectic and debate. Um, it, 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 it's always a, it's always a process um, of um, uh, knowledge and forming a view on something is always a process of receiving information in little uh, bits over time, yep. um, and uh, you know all those inputs go into the um, great neural network that is our brain, and um, uh, the neurons uh, start to uh, connect differently, and um, our perspective starts to change. In the situation where uh, content is effectively censored by the government uh, via the digital proxy, um, you're, you're left in these um, situations where uh, for something to be believable, you have to go from, so, you know, for an idea that is um, someone is trying to bring into the public consciousness as something that's true, you have to go from zero to 100% straight away. There's been no um, uh, uh, building up of the argument, um, building up the information over time because it's been censored. And so it's much harder to take that jump to this very foreign thing um, being true than if uh, the issue was uh, aired and um, educated on over time. And then my last example, which is a bit comical, We've got, uh, let's just say in Australia, we've got the um, the government-driven, uh, endorsed media outlet, which is on free-to-air, and then people can choose to pay to watch the other more right-wing skewed outfit. If we go back over the last 10 years, and let's just say you do an experiment, and I, I, I listened to someone actually mention this in a podcast, and they said, you know, I used to come home and at six o'clock I would watch one the free-to-air news provider, and then I would flick over to the other one on pay TV, and everything that they said on that one was the exact opposite on this one. And one was saying that Trump is this and Trump is that, and the other one was saying that Trump is a hero and Trump is this. (laughs) Now, in tomorrow's world, when this bill gets passed, how does the other news provider survive? They're going to be copying a fine every night. Well, um, that that is a potential uh, issue. Um, but it, it, even the initial issue um, is how those uh, sort of the even the um, financial situation, um, the comparative financial situation of those two news outlets, because you've got um, the one uh, the one news outlet that doesn't have to that's not burdened with this uh, huge overhead of yeah sorting through all of its information, categorizing the information, dealing with ACMA, uh, reporting to ACMA, um, having to pay fines when it gets it wrong. <laughs> uh, and then you've got every, every you know, the government accredited, uh, accredited, not quite, the, the government acceptable um, news content providers uh, who don't have any of that overhead. So you've, um, well, they get given information and just have to, they become a messaging service. They're, they are a media messenger. 
and you, you, you and you can also imagine. So that's the first point. It's just sort of um, it uh, is an asymmetry um, in obligation on the two news outlets. So one has a commercial advantage over the others, over the other. Um, secondly, uh, um, you can be sure that the government will be publishing, uh, you know, misinformation, disinformation reports about, um, you know, what the particular news outlets that are failing to uh, uh, meet, uh, you know, certain uh benchmarks um for yeah. misinformation or disinformation and that will have a huge negative uh reputational effect um on uh the alternatives the alternative news content providers so you've got it's it's kind of not just the threat of fines it's it's a it's a whole sort of commercial scenario around it as well and tell me if if this gets through, which I mean, it seems in some capacity it will. It, it doesn't. Uh, another elected government have the ability to say, "All right, on day one, that goes away. Let's reinstate trust by freedom of speech and you know possibly certification of what we deem as officially recognised information, but not taking everyone's ability for critical thinking away." Can a government come in on day one of a new election and and do that? Uh, uh, I'm not being uh, a political guy, being a business person. I'm not a hundred percent sure, to be honest, how really? that how that would need to be done. But we would hope that 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 door does stay open. I mean, not to to sing the praises of of the opposition. But... Well, it's not. It's not. It's not going to be locked in. You know, we're not talking about uh, legislation being locked in, sort of constitutionally or something here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not being put in the constitution, uh, unlike another. Uh, 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 particular um, uh, political uh, campaign at the moment, uh, you know, The Voice. Yeah, uh, which is virtually you can't undo once it's done. Much more difficult to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that it could be uh, undone by a sensibly-minded uh, political party. But I'm concerned, um, you know, uh, looking at the large parties in Australia, that neither of them seem like to be grounded in uh, values yeah, that, that would cause them to take that action. Uh, I always, uh, I mean, I always thought the Liberal Party um, might have and, you know, stand on some of those classical Liberal um, values, but I don't know anymore. No, I'm the, I agree. I've, I've had the same thought. And, I mean, it seems that hope lies in the independent. The problem is I, I there think isn't so. enough of them. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and they need to sort of, there isn't enough of them and they don't work together. Yes, that's right. Which ends up then going against, you know, yeah, I know. It's, and it's unfortunate because, you know, if you look at the way it should work, it should be a body of independence and they all then can agree on what is best, not one big brand with someone at the top fearful of losing their job or gaining something if they side a particular way. I, I think the hope, the hope here somehow and, um, you know, when I put on my sort of uh, just uh, use my logical mind, I don't, um, it seems hard to imagine, but the hope is that uh, through talking about this uh, bill enough um, and spreading the news that sensibly minded Australians, of which most Australians are, um, will start to speak their mind about this bill and politicians will listen. 
Yeah. And to that end, uh, I formed a, a political action group um, to uh, publish uh, information about this bill. Um, there's 10 of us. Uh, we met uh, for the first time last night um, and uh, we're putting a website together which will have detailed information about the bill, uh, numerous of ex- examples of how, if it gets accepted in its current form, um, it, it will play out. It will trying hard to connect with uh, politicians uh, and you know, MPs to talk to them uh, about the dangers of this bill. That's, I think, the best thing that we can hope for um, and hope that there's more middle-of-the-road politicians that can just see common sense and see the future, not as the moment they live in, but for what they're going to leave behind for their kids and onwards and others. Um, and have some, and have some trust. Yeah. And have some trust in ordinary people to, yeah. to, to sense make without having to be, you know, to have government breathing down their neck and, you know, recording everything they're saying, categorizing what they're saying. I mean, it's just, uh, it's tyrannical. And yeah. Yep. And, and it, and it don't, is. Don't and... Need, we don't need that. What, what, what have Australians done to ever um, indicate that they're people who need to be controlled like this? Yeah. And look, for the most part, you could argue that we're a people that if you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. Just let us go about our lives. We pay enough tax for the for those high and mighty to live the high life. And most people don't question things. So don't... Uh, you're not going to gain more trust and respect by mandating the truth as you see it. You know, it's not going to be the whole, if you live under my roof, this is the rules. That's not going to help anyone, not today, tomorrow. I, yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, it's it's a matter of, you know, respect your, uh, uh, you know, res- respect Australians and Australians might show a little bit more respect for government. Chris, well, once you get that website up, um, make sure you share the details with me um, because I will be sure to have a page on my page for this podcast, which will have that website on it. So oh, fantastic. if people want to go digging more and, and find out more, it's going to be there for them to find. Brilliant. I, 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 I'll do that as soon as it's up and thank you um, for your, your support. Thanks for making it through to the end of the show. If you wanted to find out more about this episode, head to bumpingintocomau Don't forget the .au and find the episode page. Uh, there, there'll be some links and some more info about the guest and all of the topics and items that we spoke about. Feel free to have a look around and check out any other episodes while you're there. And if you think that someone else would enjoy what you have just listened to, please do feel free to hit the share button. Thank you again for having us in your ear space. I truly appreciate it. And I hope to catch you on the next one.